Well, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning and share about probably the most important thing that I do in my life, and that's prayer. And I am the poster child for prayer because 20 years ago, I loved to go to Bible studies, but as soon as it would come to prayer time, I would look at my watch and all of a sudden find somewhere I had to be. I just thought prayer, you know, if I was really honest, I thought it was a waste of time. And how little did I know, because God has so reversed that 360 degrees and has used it in my life as the most single event that has transformed my walk with him, has deepened my love for his word and given me, strengthened my marriage, given me new relationships with my children and friends, and probably given me the dearest prayer partner I could have ever imagined, who is here this morning also praying for me. So I'm just grateful to be able to talk about something that God has used in my life that has been so important. But when Pat asked me to speak, I have to tell you, I almost said no. I said, I will pray about it, but I am not comfortable speaking to a group of men. My normal audience is young mothers and their babies. And I was reminded driving over here this morning how the first prayer workshop I did about 25 years ago, my daughter, who was about seven at the time when I went in to say her prayers, The night before I was speaking, she said, Mom, don't worry. If you're really terrible, just remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we. (laughs) So I thought, okay, Lord, I know that you still love me no matter what happens this morning. So just bear with me. But I really have to say there was something that happened the day after Pat asked me to share with you all, and that was I was in a Bible study the very next day, and one of the women in the Bible study shared that after almost 30 years of marriage, she had never prayed with her husband. And you could hear the heartache in her voice. And I thought, Lord, I have to speak to these men about the calling you have given them as men to lead their families in prayer, to lead their wives, their children, their grandchildren, their friends. It's such a high calling, and it's so important. But um, before you can do that, before you can even lead your families, you first have to draw closer to him. You have to develop that vertical relationship. And that's what Pat has mainly asked me to talk to you about this morning. And it's a relationship where you're communing with God and you're learning to hear his voice. You're learning to know what's on his heart. And you're making it central in your life. It's not just a compartmentalized Thing that you do first thing in the morning, and then you forget about it the rest of the day. But on the handouts I've given you, I want to start with the point that, first point, that God desires intimacy with each one of us. In the Old Testament, it started with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place of God's dwelling, and where he met with Moses face to face. And it's still the same today. If you want to meet with God, You have to have an appointed time to be with him or a tent of meeting where you stop everything else to dwell with him and to be in his presence. And it can't be something that you just throw in while you're doing other things. If you don't set an appointed time, the world and your busyness will set it aside. It can't be a tent of whenever you feel like it or when you have time for it. You need to give God your best. It's a fixed or appointed time, just like the tent of meeting was with Moses, whether you feel like it or not. 
And trust me, your faithfulness to this time will be blessed. Press in even on those hard mornings when you don't feel like it. And we read that in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 7, verse 89. And this is what that verse says. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with God, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat. Just listen to what this verse is saying. When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with God, he heard the voice speaking to him. This was a meeting place between God and man. And Moses went to this place for a singular purpose, and that was to speak with God. Since the Garden of Eden, God has wanted man to walk with him and commune with him. And all through the Old Testament, we see the continual exchange between God and man. Abraham heard God's voice. Moses did. Joshua, David, Elisha, Elijah, and all the prophets. And then in the New Testament, a young teenage girl, Mary, and her fiancé, Joseph, both heard him, as did Peter and later Paul. And even in Revelation, we read, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All through Scripture, we realize a record of communication. God speaks, and we can hear him speak. And in his voice, we hear all we need for direction, for comfort, for encouragement, for life and light. And we mainly hear his voice through Scripture, meditating on it, reflecting on it, memorizing it, chewing it. The Bible tells us that the Word is active and living. And as you spend time in his word, it will become alive to you. And you will begin to see it as God's heart. And you will begin to see his character through it. And in Hebrews 4.16, we read that Jesus, as our high priest, bids us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This can be that fixed time in the morning. But the joy of prayer is that God intends for this, to continue throughout our day. It's not to be just compartmentalized. He wants us to take prayer into every facet of our day and everything that we do in our day. Through Christ's atonement for our sin, we can now enter into this tent of meeting and hear his voice. But in order to hear, we have to develop a posture of listening, be comfortable with silence, with stillness, and no agenda but just to be in God's presence. Even Moses did this. Listen to what Numbers 9, verses 8 and 9, Moses says to us. He says, wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. It takes that posture of listening, of waiting. And we have the promise in Scripture that as sheep we will know his voice. And the promise that when we call, he is going to show us great and mighty things that we do not know. That's Jeremiah 33.3. If you take anything from this morning, I would want it to be that God designed prayer as a means for you to know him. He wants it to be an adventure of daily discovering new facets of his character and who he is and what his heart is, is caring about and seeing and bringing his presence into situations that you face. He never intended prayer to be a duty or a set of rules. I remember when I did my first workshop, one of the women said, well, we just want some steps. And I said, well, you can't just have steps. It's a relationship. 
And it is a relationship with the king of the universe. It's amazing. It's really awe-inspiring to think the God of the universe wants to specifically communicate with each one of us in this room. But Psalm 27.8 is one of my favorite verses to describe the intimacy that God desires to have with each one of us. And in it, the psalmist in the verse says, My heart has heard you say, Come talk with me. And he's hearing the Lord say, Come talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. And that's what the Lord wants each one of our responses to be to him. Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming to meet with you. I'll never forget the Christmas um, when my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And this was about 12 years ago. And I was visiting with my family. And before we left, I said, let's all gather together and pray for you, Dad. And so it was one of the, really, it's the best Christmas I can ever remember because all my siblings and their children, we all gathered around my father to pray. And it was just beautiful to hear my, these, my children's prayers and my nieces and nephews' prayers and my siblings' prayer. But I'll never forget the, the prayer of my father. And it was, Lord, may I know you more in the coming year. And I thought he didn't even mention his healing. He mentioned, may I know you more in the coming year. And my father has walked, had at that point walked with God for at least 45 years. But you see, there's so much to know about God. We're to spend our lifetime finding out about him. And that should be the foremost prayer every morning. Lord, let me know you better. Show me who you are. Prayer is to be our lifeline. And I love the quote that Oswald Chambers gives us when he says, prayer is to the believer what oxygen is to our lungs. That's a powerful quote. But that's how we're to see prayer in our lives. Yet if we're all honest, we struggle with prayer. We don't feel, if I ask for a show of hands, how many would like to pray more? How many would like to strengthen their prayer life? I bet half of you would raise your hands. And it was interesting when I taught a group of middle schoolers about 20 years ago and asked them to write down their struggles. And as the replies came in, I started thinking, this is universal. Prayer is a universal struggle. Why is that? Why do you think it is? It's because the enemy knows the power and the joy that God has designed for prayer to be in our lives. And he wants to keep us from that. In Ephesians 6, the great chapter on the armor of God concludes with putting on the armor in verse 18 with pray in the spirit. Pray at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers. This tells me it is so easy to become distracted from the one thing that is most important to our spiritual growth, and that is staying in communion with our Father, abiding in Him. So I'd like for you just to take one or two minutes and write down just a few of your struggles just on the sheet of paper, and maybe I hope you're going to have time later in your groups to talk about these struggles, but just think about one or two um, struggles that you may have about prayer.
Would anybody like to share one or two of them, of what your answers might be? That's key. That's, I think, number one, really. Exactly. Anyone else? Well, let me tell you what the, 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 in the order that the middle schoolers gave it to me. And I thought, it's interesting. Number one, my mind wanders. Two, I sometimes don't know what to pray. Three, I don't believe it will really make a difference. Four, and I love middle schoolers' honesty. I would rather go do something with friends that's fun. (laughs) Don't you love that? But if we really look at how we think about prayer, do we really see it as fun and the most important part of our day? But I believe God and his word has given us some keys to overcoming these struggles. Because he desires so much for us to find joy. It says in Isaiah, I want you to find joy in my house of prayer. And I want your joy to be full as you receive answers to your prayers. So I've already talked about this, but one key is to set aside an appointed time. Don't let anything deter you from that time. And preferably, let it be the first thing in the morning. The two most important men in my life, my father and my husband, have both modeled this for me. I have the image of my father indelibly etched on my mind of him up an hour before anyone else in the house, sitting in his wingback chair with his Bible open in front of him. He has a yellow legal pad. He still does. He doesn't believe in, he doesn't do type in the computer, but he handwrites notes. And sometimes he would be on his knees. Sometimes I would see his head bowed. But this was his meeting time with God, and he didn't let anything deter him from that. And my husband is still the same way. He's up before anyone else in the house, and he has that designated chair where he sits, where he meets with God, with his Bible open. Learn to treasure this time, to delight in it. And there are times I will confess, I'm up and trying to do this, and I will fall asleep. And you just have to go on. You have to go, okay, Lord, I guess I needed that sleep, but keep pressing in and don't say, well, I guess that's not meant for me. And if nighttime is better for you, I think that's better for my son, have your time then. But there are many verses encouraging us to do this. Psalm 5.3 is an important one. It says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and look up. And I love this verse particularly because this is what happens when we spend time with God, looking up and gazing at him. Suddenly, our problems, our worries seem small and insignificant in light of his greatness and his power and seeing what he can do. And Matthew 6, 6 also encourages us to go into that secret room, that private place, and close the door. And then it says, your father who sees in secret will also reward you. And to me, the greatest reward is the gift of his presence, the gift of knowing him in greater ways, the gift of finding delight in communing with him and becoming transformed into his image. And another key is to keep your heart tender. Keep short accounts with God. Confess your sins, and as you do, you'll find freedom and release. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is chilling to me that God is not going to be listening to our prayers if we are not confessing and keeping short accounts with him. But then it goes on as the psalmist confesses and says, but God did listen. 
He paid attention to my prayer. Don't let your unconfessed sin drive a wedge between you and God. Just bring it to him and let him deal with it. And then a third key is to worship God in the spirit. And I think this is so hard to describe. Jude 20 says to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Arthur Pink, who is a great British theologian, said this about the Spirit. We can no more pray without the Holy Spirit than we can create a world. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us as we pray and to pray through us when we don't know what to pray. Romans 8 says, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will make utterances from us with groans. Psalm 22.3 says, God is enthroned in the praises of his people. And the Japanese Bible says it like this, we build a great big chair for him to sit in. God's presence comes when we worship him, when we come in the spirit and say, we are here to worship you. And C.S. Lewis said it so beautifully. He said, it is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to his people. It's through worshiping in the spirit that his presence will come into that appointed time that you want to have with him. And then the next key is one of my, has transformed my prayer life and given me power in my prayers because it's learning to pray the word. It's learning to sit with Jesus with his word open before you, with your Bible open before you and praying the scripture and turning those verses into prayers for yourself and for others. My Bible has really turned into my prayer journal. In the margins of my Bible, so many times if a verse has come out of the page to me for someone, I'll put their name and I'll date it in the margin. Well, I'd even forgotten that I had prayed this for my mother back in January, but the Lord reminded me of it this week. And for some of you who probably are not aware of this, my mother had a very severe stroke um, in January, and really she should not have lived. Um, we don't know how long she was unconscious, but it was a blood clot in her brain, and they had to do surgery, and she's paralyzed. So I'm in ICU with her in January, and God impresses on my heart in the middle of the night, Psalm 18. And I have to read these verses to you because I put my mother's name in the margin of my Bible in the day, 117, and these are what these verses say. God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. Well, I read this to her every day while she was in the ICU unit. But I had forgotten that I had told her with that verse, he makes me as sure-footed as the deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. I said to her, and you know, she was barely um, communicating, her eyes are closed, and I said, Mom, I really believe this summer you're going to be back at your mountain house. My parents have a mountain house they call Higher Ground, and it's the top highest point in Virginia. And I said, you're going to be at that mountain house. And at that point, it looked totally impossible. How is that going to happen? And I don't really know what made me speak it except this verse. Well, I was there two weeks ago, and I realized as I was reading this again 
that my mother had actually stood for the first time on the mountain heights. It says, he enables me to stand on mountain heights. Well, she had able, was able to get out of her wheelchair and stand on her own at that point. And it was a, 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 just encouraging for me too. And I think that's what you'll find as you start praying scriptures for people. It's an adventure. And you develop these relationships with people that you don't even know as you're praying for them. And you see God work and work out that scripture in their life. So pray his word. John Piper says this about praying his word. For me, it is absolutely essential that my prayers be guided by, saturated by, sustained and controlled by the word of God. It's a powerful tool to use. Lastly, pray with faith and expectancy, knowing and believing that something happens every time we pray. Do we really believe that? I think if I was honest 20 years ago, I didn't, that's why I would leave these prayer groups because I really didn't believe they would amount to anything. But James 5.16 tells us the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Andrew Murray, who I've read so much of him and his writings on prayer, says this, beware in your prayer above everything of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we could ask or think. Each time you intercede, be quiet first, worship God in his glory, think of what he can do, of your place in Christ, and expect great things. Ask God to place things on your heart to pray. Find a prayer partner and begin to pray with them, whether it be your wife or a good friend. As I said earlier, mine is here today. and We've been praying together for at least 20 years. And our times where we have lunch and then pray are probably better than any spa day. They're renewing, they're restorative, and we have seen so many answers to prayer. But more than that, we have drawn closer to God and we have sensed his nearness and his presence and there is nothing sweeter in all the world. But my prayer is that as you go deeper in prayer with the Lord, you'll also be moved to extend that prayer to those around you. That not only will you have that vertical, but you're going to have that horizontal. That God would begin to birth in you a desire to pray for others, to intercede for their needs, their souls. John Calvin says this about intercession or praying for others. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. Jesus is our greatest example of this. In John 17, if you read John 17, you see Jesus prays 50 times for his children on earth. 50 times. And I believe those prayers are still being answered today for us, the ones that Jesus prayed in John 17. Men, if you only knew the intimacy you could have in your marriage as you begin to lead your wife in prayer and your family in prayer, there's no greater intimacy with another than that which is built through holding them up in prayer. My husband is my biggest prayer warrior. He prayed for me before I came today. He intercedes for me every time I speak on Tuesdays when he knows I'm facing something big. And it's not a big deal. You don't have to have this eloquent, long prayer. It might be just putting your hand on your wife 
and saying in the morning before you leave for work and saying, Lord, lift up the face of your countenance upon her and give her peace throughout her day. That's all it might have to be, but something as simple as that. My husband also instituted in our family something we call a prayer chair, and it was when the children were younger, but we still do it when we have important family gatherings. But each one of us would sit in this certain chair in our den on Sunday nights, and we would say what we would need prayer for, and the rest of the family would gather around that person, lay hands on the person, and each pray. And even when they went away to college, it was um, we would do it in August before they would leave, and then in January before they'd go back after break. But there's great power in unity when you join with your spouse in prayer for your needs and for your children and your grandchildren. My favorite moments as a mother came at bedtime when I would kneel beside their bed and ask them how I could pray for them. Fathers, text your children verses you're praying for them. Text them prayers. Ask them how you can pray for them. You will be surprised at what you'll receive. That's just been a way for me with all my children, and now they just readily will text me, pray for me right now. I have an important meeting or something's happening here. Will you pray for me? This is the authority that God has given you in your home, and it's your God-ordained territory, and don't delegate that to someone else. This is what God has given you as men to do. And the antonym for intercede, I think, is chilling. It means, it says the antonyms, one of the, several of the antonyms, to abandon, to leave as an orphan, to forsake. If you are not interceding for your wife and your family, you are leaving them vulnerable. The greatest legacy you can leave your family is your faith, and your prayers for them. And I have an example, again, throughout this teaching, I think it's been so foremost in my mind is my mother and her stroke. But about two months into her stroke, she was in the rehab. And my oldest daughter is pregnant, was pregnant with her second child. And she thought she was miscarrying, and she'd been to the doctor, and he said, well, we're just going to have to wait and see if you start cramping. You need to come in because you probably are miscarrying. So I get a text or a phone call really the next day. I, I'm miscarrying. I'm, I feel like I'm miscarrying. And I was getting ready to run out the door. And I felt, again, that unction of the Holy Spirit, stop. Stop what you're doing. Sit down and intercede for the life of this baby. So I did. <clears throat> but at that moment, I also had the thought, I wish I could call my mother to pray. And I thought, but I can't. She's in the rehab. She's barely talking. She can't answer a phone. And I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me, but you can. And the thought came, well, my brother might be visiting. So I texted my brother, and he happened to be in the room with her at that moment. And I said, do you think she'd be up for a FaceTime call? And the three of us could pray. And he said, absolutely. And my mother could understand every word. I said, mother, you have prayed for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And now there's a grandchild, your granddaughter needs your prayers for your great, now we know it's a girl, for your great granddaughter. And um, she was so engaged. I said, you don't, don't worry about praying any word. We know you're agreeing with us. So my brother and I prayed through the FaceTime call. But what was so important was when we hung up, my mother looked at my brother and was able to verbalize this. She said, I wondered why God did not take me with this stroke. And now I know why. 
You see, God still wanted to use the prayers of an 89-year-old woman in her family. And I cannot wait to get a picture of my mother holding this great-granddaughter who she prayed for and who God kept alive for her to pray for this granddaughter. That's how important your prayers are for your family, for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And you may feel that your wife prays better, that she's in more Bible studies, that you're the one working and she gets to go to all the prayer groups and the Bible studies. Don't let that keep you from leading her in prayer. And I'm telling you, it just has to be a one word. Watch over her, just a verse to pray. Or even if that's uncomfortable at first, begin by just writing on an index card. I'm praying this for you today and give it to her. Prayer from the heart, or as Romans 8 tells us, in our weakness when we don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings too hard for words. That is what is most important. Let it be from your heart. And let your family see your heart in wanting to pray for them and in seeing that this is your role for them. And know that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is walking alongside you and wants to help you. And he wants to birth prayers in and through you. Well, I'm going to go back one more to one more illustration from my mother's stroke. But Chad's sermon was really so powerful for me on Sunday when he talked about seeing God's care for us in prosperity, but also in our suffering and our pain. And I've seen God's care for my family over so many years. Yes, there's been great struggles, but we've really never had much physical suffering or pain. We've had cancers and things like that, but this stroke has really taken it to a different level. And I feel like my parents at 89 or and 87 are facing probably one of the greatest tests of their faith. And they are coming through and flying colors. And I think it's because they've lived lives bathed in prayer. But when I was there, again, two weeks ago, um, my mother's learning to walk again. Even though she's still paralyzed on that side, she's learning to trust that right leg that has no feeling. So my father was helping her, and she did an enormous lap around their, their they have a huge dining room in this mountain house. And in order to, to help her walk, there's a um, belt that she has to wear, and then the person beside her has to wear the belt, too, to kind of hold her up. Well, that was the picture of my parents. My father walking alongside her, holding her, encouraging her, saying, that's beautiful. Yes, take that next step. You're doing it. You're doing it. That's wonderful. Every single step she took, there was some word of encouragement. And I had the picture that that's what the Holy Spirit does with us as we begin to pray. And I came back to me the words of Jesus when he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's what he does with us in prayer. He does it with our lives, but he wants to do it with prayer too. He wants to carry the heavy load of it and say, if you would just come to me and give it to me, I will help you and I will encourage you and I will be there for you. So let the Holy Spirit be your guide as you pray. And I believe he really wants to raise up an army of prayers in this room and in this city. And I want to close with this quote by A.B. Simpson. Do we know the power of our supernatural weapon? God baptized us with holy audacity and divine confidence. He is not wanting great men and women. He doesn't want us to be great and pray these powerful, eloquent prayers. What he wants is men and women 
who will dare to prove the greatness of their God, who will show forth the image of his loveliness and his greatness. So let God do that in your prayer lives. Don't make it a duty or leave here thinking, I have to do this, this, this. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Just use me and let me prove how great you can be. The privilege is ours. The power is his. Delight in him. If there's anything I would tell you, it's to to delight in being with him in his presence, delight in being in his word and seeing him unfold this beautiful adventure before you. So let me um, say a prayer. And then on your, um, before I close, I've given each table the Psalm 27, which I hated to talk about prayer and then not have you pray. So I just would encourage you on your tables to take five or seven minutes and to pray this psalm and then to have feedback on what came out as you prayed that psalm. So let me close us in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're a God who is so great and powerful, but you're a God who also walks alongside us and helps us every step of the way. You carry the load. Lord, help us to cast our cares upon you. And Lord, I pray that you would instill a fire in every man's heart today who is here, that you want him to be a man of prayer, that you want him to lead his home, his children, his friends, his wife in prayer. Lord God, use us for your glory. Use us, Lord, and use our prayers to call forth your presence into situations throughout our day. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we give you all the glory. Amen. Thank you all.